JG Nindra, everyone, let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam, Om Namo Sitanam, Om Namo Ayariyanam, Om Namo Uachayanam, Namo Lue Savasahunam, Eso Panchanamo Karo, Salva Pavapanasano, Mangalalancha Salvesim, Paramam Have Mangalam, J.J. Nindra, we had the request to discuss how Jainism can help us in our relationships and understanding other people better. So that's what our topic is for today. Let's start with our kids. The reason our relationship with our kids becomes strained is that in order to be a good parent, you have to make kids do things they don't want to do. And guess what? That is actually the hardest thing in the world, is to get somebody to do things they absolutely don't want to do. We will come up with all sorts of justifications, excuses, and pushback when tasked with doing something we don't want to do. We can't even make ourselves do things we don't want to do, like diet and exercise. So imagine trying to make someone else do something they don't want to do. So with children, we should focus on the Jain principle of Shama, or forgiveness. The people we are closest to and love the most are the ones that transgress our boundaries and know how to push our buttons. So here are some good tips to remember about your kids. The first thing is to remember that they're souls, the same age as you. It's hard enough remembering that we are souls rather than our bodies. Remember that all other living beings, including our children, are souls rather than bodies. And those souls are just as valuable as yours. They have the same capability for infinite knowledge, infinite perception, infinite bliss, infinite happiness, infinite peace that yours do. In fact, many times our children are more in touch with their souls than we are with ours. Another good trip is to remember that childhood is a constant process of letting go. Everything is perfect in the womb. Then, The child must let go of being fed directly by the mother and must work to feed after being born. Next, the child must let go of being indirectly fed by the mother by being weaned. Next, the child must let go of the idea that he or she and his mother are the same person as the child gains awareness. Next, the child must let go of having his or her mind read via crying all the time and learn to speak to communicate their needs. Next, the child must let go of having more and more needs met as we heap more and more responsibilities onto the child. And then finally, the child is independent. But that constant process of letting go is a constant process of pain. And too often we remember our own childhood with rose-tinted glasses. And too often, we wish for the days that we had no responsibilities. But we, don't fail, but we fail to remember that 
being a baby sucks. Being a toddler sucks. Being a teenager sucks because it is a constant process of pain. And even though it might seem like their pain is lesser than ours because their problems are lesser than ours, we don't minimize other people's pain as less than our own because obviously we don't know how it hits them. And their pain might actually be more than ours. Both you and your children must forgive each other. You for forcing kids to do things they don't want to do. And them for resisting learning the things they need to learn to survive. So you and your kids need to forgive each other every day. There's an art to forgiveness as well. Does anybody know the components of an apology? Thank you for everybody just joining us. We're talking about how Jainism can improve our relationships with people around us. And we're talking about the components of a, an apology in the context of forgiveness. So there are six components to an apology, believe it or not. There's the expression of regret, the explanation of what went wrong, the acknowledgement of responsibility, the declaration of repentance, the offer of repair, and the request for forgiveness. Those are the six components of an apology. And without those six components, your apology is incomplete. The most important is the acknowledgement of responsibility, saying that it was your mistake and that you're sorry for making the mistake. That's the third component. The least important is the request for forgiveness. Questions or comments about that? All right, since we're talking about anger and forgiveness, now's a good time to renew all of our open challenges we talk about each year. Our first open challenge, which nobody has uh, successfully completed, is to give me a scenario where an anger is not directed at the self. Of course, we define anger as the mismatch between expectation and reality, and that means all anger is directed at the self. And so far, nobody has given me a convincing scenario where anger is not directed at the self. Any takers? I'm still digesting those six elements, Tim. Okay, let's talk uh, about it. I, I just, I just uh, thought there's one more element I feel at times that it's getting missed out, which is... At times, let's say there are two individuals having an argument and it escalates and gets really, really high. Um, obviously, there is a both sides of it. And what get people get hung up on is continue to look at not all those six elements are very, very important. And it has to happen once you overcome and say. I'm going to look at only for my side 
because sometimes the other person may be wrong as well and they get continue to argue like yeah but they need to apologize me first or they need to say sorry first or something like that right so the other side of the element typically generally overwhelm and until you do that i think the six never trigger the first step of the sixth element never triggers that's what i see time to time right so just like it takes two people to make an argument sometimes there's wrong on both sides and both people need to apologize but one is not apologizing is recalcitrant to apologize and especially our kids our kids are never going to apologize to us even though they're wrong and that hurts us right and i think the thing to remember is that and apology is a little bit selfish because an apology is for us mainly because once we're done apologizing and apologizing properly we let go of it obviously we can't control other people and we should acknowledge that even though the other person may be in the wrong even may be more so than us we apologize for our part of it we can't control them apologizing for their part of it but once you make those six elements then you can wash your hands of it. And that's why an apology is selfish, right? That's why an apology is selfish. That's why donations are selfless, selfish. That's why all these so-called selfless acts are, there is a characterization you can make that they are selfish because they are for our own good. And so we should uh, concentrate on that. Right. One of the things uh, to remember about these apologies is when you say you're sorry, uh, don't don't say I apologize. <laughs> That's not going to work. Say I'm sorry, um, and don't say don't say I'm sorry you feel that way, or I'm sorry it worked out like that, or I'm sorry this other thing happened. You just say I'm sorry. That that that's half a, half of a good apology right there. So let's talk about our second open challenge, which is that. All strengths are weaknesses and all weaknesses are strengths. And I dare you to give me one and not have me find a counter. For example, there's nothing you can give me that I cannot turn into the other. Uh, If you give me the strength of thoughtfulness, I will tell you that person is indecisive. If you give me the weakness of boastfulness, I will tell you that person takes pride in his efforts. Okay, remember that strength and weaknesses are the same side of the coin, of a coin, and that you can characterize all strengths as weaknesses and all weaknesses as strengths. So with children, we also need to understand the concepts of pap and punya. There's no more pertinent question you can ask yourself with regards to every activity that you do then what is the right thing to do in this situation, as we briefly touched upon last week? You'll find out that there's no more interesting question in your life than trying to find out what the right thing to do in this situation is, and even post-mortem, what should I have done in this situation? And we should try to do that with kids. We should try to um, reflect on our interactions with our children and figure out, well, what could I or should I have done now when the temperature in the room is lower than I did then. And we should teach them to do that because this is a lesson that can help them in their own lives. And it's something that we should be teaching them. Of course, we are responsible for teaching them right and wrong. So questions about 
our interactions with children or comments or anything that you found helped in your interactions with your children? Okay, let's move on to our spouse. Men and women think differently due to their different challenges for self-actualization. So the thing that's going to help your relationship with your spouse the most is the Jain concept of anikampha that we talked about last week briefly. It's so hard to step into someone else's shoes that both men and women are guilty of minimizing the challenges that the other goes through. On the men's side, men minimize women's safety challenges due to being smaller and less physically powerful. We don't have those problems. So we don't think they exist. Men minimize the physical beauty standards that women must maintain. They have a question about makeup. Uh, I have two daughters. We've talked about makeup. We have challenges with makeup. Every woman wrestles with those questions. Men and women have different behavioral standards and we minimize their challenges. An aggressive man is seen as decisive, but an aggressive woman is seen as argumentative. Women have domestic responsibilities, including childcare, that men overlook. On the women's side, women minimize that men have to prove that their lives have value, while women's lives are deemed by society as inherently valuable. The whole women and children first concept. This manifests as men being disposable to fight wars and put themselves in dangerous situations. Women minimize that men have mating pressure to provide resources and security. Just like on the women's side, men have different behavioral standards. The flip side of our earlier example is that a quiet man is seen as meek, but a quiet woman is seen as congenial. Men are not allowed by society to defend themselves against women. And finally, just like women, men have different physical beauty standards that must be upheld as well, including uncontrollable standards such as height. And the reason for these differences is the mismatch between the amount of sperm and eggs in the world. Men must make their sperm more expensive, while women must not devalue their eggs. And so the thing to understand here is that perhaps you've never given thought to any of these challenges that women have. Well, in order to have a better relationship with your spouse, we have to give these things thought and we have to look at it from their point of view. And just like with children, sex is a construct of the body and has nothing to do with the soul. Your spouse is a soul. Your spouse is not a body. Questions or comments on that? Any tips on how to improve your relationship with your spouse? 
Anybody do anything like a date night every Friday? Anybody do anything um, to try to understand their spouse better? Tim, I think the, uh, so we've, I've tried a few of those things, you know, and I think that a lot of understanding, it's a phase of time, right? Because currently uh, we all have kids and the time is like, uh, you know, the focus is really bounced towards them rather than us, right? And so the conversations always go back to, uh, some kind of child behavior or child activities or what are we going to do for this or what are we going to do for that and yada yada and so you know um, in other religions before you get married they usually have some kind of I don't want to say training course but a course that allows both parties to understand who's doing what what the responsibilities are and those type of things, right? And what to go ahead and uh, what to go ahead and kind of envision of what's going to happen, or at least sharing it, both people's envision. I'm not really sure we had that, and so we are kind of like thrown at the ball, and we're fighting the fire as we are, you know. And they have multiple ones afterward too, right? Um, so I think part of that is not only spending time, but spending time in things that each other each other person likes you know or their 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 habits you know which may be different in a time frame where you have kids and you don't have kids or prior to having kids right i'm a big fan of those pre-marriage counseling sessions because they force you to talk about the things that the number one and two causes of divorce money and kids and it forces you to talk about that. It also, as you mentioned, forces you to talk about division of labor and things to think about before getting married. I'm a big fan of that. We don't have that. Um, maybe, uh, you know, I'm not sure how to address that, but maybe it's something that we can have in, in, in our Jane Center. And so, yeah, I think it's good. Have you ever had those times where we like we set a moratorium on okay we're having this dinner together we're not talking about the kids you know let's find anything to talk about that's not the kids I'm sure that uh, you found it very hard too like Nick and I do <laughs> I, just, I, I just feel like every time we set that like the kids call <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it, it defeats the whole purpose of, uh, of doing that and not only that but like we're you know we're vested in our kids. Uh, like the other day, someone was telling me that hey, there are a lot of cultures that, hey, you know, when the kids go to middle school or high school, they're like, you're on your own, you know. And I feel like, you know, every test they take and every day they have a quiz, we're there with them, you know, uh, as, you know, as a different type of parent, you know. And I was just thinking, like, you know, uh, my daughter, because she joined the color guard, so they performed during halftime at a football game. It's every week. Right. The football game is five hours. And so, you know, we had this discussion of whether we will go every week to a football game for five hours. Right. As a family. Right. And, you know, I, I, I assure you that my parents never came to one basketball game I ever played. Ever. <laughs> they just asked me what time to drop off and what time to pick up. Right. 
you know? And we're totally like the extreme of that, right? You know? Not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it's different, right? Of course, there are pros and cons to both sides, just like anything. Other questions or comments about improving our relationship with our spouse? Okay, let's talk about friends. For friends, the most important Jain principle is going to be sarlata or straightforwardness. Straightforwardness means high ethics and integrity. And that means a freedom from falsehood, cheating, dishonesty, trickery, corruption, bribery, and crookedness. Everyone likes a person with a straightforward attitude. The life of a straightforward person becomes fearless, worry-free, peaceful. You will be a better friend by being trustworthy, by accepting when people make mistakes, by not spreading rumors, by not blaming others, by not lying, of course, by not hurting other people's feelings. If you do all of that, you will be a good friend. And you should also look for those qualities in your friends. Any tips on making friends as an adult? Okay, let's talk about coworkers. For co-workers, we can modify the Jain principles of Samyatnyan, Darshan, and Charitra. That is, correct thoughts, correct speech, and correct action. So at work, before we say and do something, I think it's important to have all the facts. That is, at work, there are all sorts of unknown variables at play because typically we don't know everything surrounding a certain situation where we want to make a change. I mean... Um, can you, uh, imagine uh, this happens all the time, right? There comes a policy that, uh, we're taking away this, this thing. Let's say it's, we're taking away these breaks because people are abusing them. And you know, that's not true. You know, you're just taking away breaks because it's saving on the bottom line, right? So, and people laugh and call the leadership liars and everything like that. And it breaks down morale at the company. Well, we can use our Jane principles of correct thoughts leading correct speech to correct actions to make sure that they're all aligned. Because when they're not aligned, somebody's trying to hide something or somebody's trying to um, pull one over on you. And you don't want to be that person and you don't want other people to be that those persons at work. So by making sure our thoughts, speech, and actions are aligned, we can avoid that loss of morale. There's also an Anikanthvad case to be made at work, right? There's lots of competing interests. That is, management and labor is one of them. When you're labor, you think that management has no idea, right? They're out of touch. When you get to management, you see bigger problems that you didn't perceive before, and you think that labor has no idea about those. <laughs> There's a technical versus business side at work, which we're all familiar with. 
Um, you know, I was at Motorola and the management said, oh, uh, actually our side, the technical side said, we can't get this product the way that it's specced out. And the management thought that that was code for we need more time. So they said, yeah, for sure. You can have another six months, no problem. And the technical side came back and say, no, these trade-offs aren't possible that you want in this product. And there's a divide there. And uh, I, I was really young at the time. So I was like, how are we this far along? And there's still this divide. Uh, you know, there's still people not talking the same language. You know, that now that I'm older, I realize that that is always going to be there. Because you're going to have people that say, I just want to look at the technical side. It's your job to look after the bottom line. That's why I'm not management. You know, that's why I didn't get an MBA. And there's always going to be the leadership who's saying like, without you, without me, you wouldn't be here. I'm the one who focuses on the bottom line and allows you to do your work. Right. So there's always going to be a disconnect. Anybody have any good stories about people speaking different languages at work? investors meeting if you hear those things to CEOs that's that's the perfect example you know the, how they carve the stories and how they try to put these things across and when you work for that company you hear and say how come I don't hear those things every day <laughs> yeah so, we had a bad quarter a bad year because of COVID right yeah. Co everything's COVID's fault <laughs> right either that or they twist it in a nice way in a way that yeah this is a perfect opportunity to jump start in the next five years and it's a it's a very uh, unique trait to have to have those type of uh, way to twist the things around. But yeah, that's another another thing than how the communication flows because the same individual when talk to talk to people in within the organization has a completely different tone, um, and for the different reasons as as we know. But that's another thing that I always wonder uh, how how people be able to switch like that and. Just, uh, you know, say it differently. Right. Obviously, audience make it different. I mean, you're not going to discuss every single same thing to the different audience. It has to be differently spoken, but uh, that's always interesting. Absolutely. Anybody else? So at work, of course, I don't know how many of us uh, are in the creative industry, but creative people have different needs that must be accounted for than business people. They have to have certain um, certain certain things be made available to them and be, be able to have time to create and be able to have a space to create and be able to be in the right headspace to create. So uh, there's definitely a divide between creative and business at work, too. Uh, even political differences come into play. You have to understand where other people are coming from in order to understand how that particular idea got into somebody's head. It's the fact that two people can look at the same set of circumstances and come out with two completely opposite viewpoints. The, For example, the famous picture of the man standing in front of the tanks at Tiananmen Square. That has become famous worldwide as a kind of uh, symbol of the underdog versus the big bad government, right? 
how one person can stand up and make a difference putting his life on the line against oppression. Well, in certain places, that is a symbol of the friendliness of the state. Look at these line of tanks behind this man. They're stopping for this man. They're not shooting him. They're not running over him. That is how much the state cares about its citizens. So you have the same set of circumstances and two completely different viewpoints, okay? And that is where different political beliefs come into play. Even though politics is not talked about at work, even though politics may not be talked about at your work at all, well, you better believe that different political philosophies make themselves manifest in people's perception of certain events. Questions or comments about improving our relationships at work? What has worked well for me, Jameris, at the work, uh, having social interaction as well, uh, and not restricted to just business related talks. And I think that has gone a long way, creating that relationship trust, spending time with them. Uh, with the virtual environment that we were in for last one and a half year because of COVID, a lot of the personal touch went away. Uh, but I try to make it a point uh, either over the weekend or maybe at least twice a month, maybe catch up with one of the colleagues. And fortunately, I have good friends and spend time with them. Uh, and try not to keep it transactional. Uh, otherwise, at work, we can quite become that way. We are only connecting with people when we need something or we need to discuss something. And I, I feel like having that personal relationship goes a long way, even when it is related to work, because you already have that trust uh, and relationship. And it does help where you have that bonding and you can pretty much um, get others to do whatever you want in the time of real meaning. So spending time, investing time, I think is the key and making sure you have a personal relationship. That has worked very well for me. Right. It's this concept of breaking bread with people, right? Taking them out to lunch and discussing what's going on with their life. And in that way, we humanize them. Right. We make them a more three dimensional person rather than just looking at them through the function they do at work. And so that's great. And so what if we did that, but with souls? Right. What if we did that instead of humanizing somebody? What if we how can we make ourselves see living beings in a three dimensional way as souls? and not limit them to their the function of their body. That is a human being. That is a dog. That is a tree. They're all souls. I don't want to limit them to their function. What can we, what is our, what is the Jainism take out to lunch? Make that person human. Make, see them as something other than their role. How do I do that with souls? How do I, I guess, soulify living beings.
how do I see my child as a soul that's as old as I am? How do I see my spouse as not a woman, but a soul that has the same capabilities of happiness and peace and power that I do? How do I see the tree outside as des- much deserving of proper treatment and care as my own soul? How do I break bread with them? I have another comment or question if I wanted to ask um, for kids. Um, is there a way, like repunishment? Is that considered, what do we think about that? So, you know, just uh, telling them uh, live and let be, right? So if, if they've done something wrong, we just say, okay, it's, try not to do it again or something like that versus, hey, you know, go to your room or take away something from them so they uh, they feel they're basically going to try to rectify their mistakes next time, right? Because if you punish them in some manner, deprive them of something or whatnot, it makes them remember that I did something wrong and I won't. But if you just, if you're Jane Way or just telling them having a nice conversation with them and forgetting it, they may not learn. So is there a difference of opinions or thoughts behind that? Great question. Uh, while everybody's thinking about it, let me tell you what I do, and then we can talk about it from a Jainism perspective and maybe the right way to do things. Great question. The way I was taught was that no physical punishment at all. Okay, so I don't do that. What I do is timeouts, and then the timeout should be <clears throat> the same number of minutes that their age is. So for my five-year-old, a timeout will be five minutes. For my eight-year-old, a timeout will be eight minutes. And also I was taught that it should be very close to the infringing action, such that they associate the infringing action with the timeout. Uh, otherwise, if it's very far away in time, then they don't make that connection. All right. And then one of the things I do take away things um, that are precious to them. And uh, one of the biggest things is this screen time, right, is having the free time to do what they want. Um, so I do take away those things as punishments for misbehavior because I want them to uh, try to understand how important it is to have that behavior. Something else that I do is I incorporate them into their punishment. I ask them what they think a proper punishment should be for that particular action. Uh, it's always a suggestion. It's one of the factors that I take into in determining the proper punishment. And um, they will surprisingly give you candid answers and say, well, I think taking my dessert away is a proper punishment because it wasn't that big a deal. Or like, this was a big thing probably. I think you should take my iPad away from me um, and I was very surprised at that after I learned that. And so now that's become part of my repertoire is to include them in the conversation about punishments. Um, what do you guys do? 
before we get there, is back to what if there's a soul and, and forgive and forget, live la beast, me depriving of them these things as kids. Am I doing, is it a part for me as well? Are you taking away these things from them? Certainly it is. And it's one that I do not think you can get around. But you can make it a teaching element, a Papanu Bandu Punya, for example. You can have, let's say you deprive something from your kids. You can make it a teaching moment about Jainism, right? And about non-attachment and about how things are material and they don't matter and about how your soul matters. And guess what? That will get you punya. That will get you much more punya than the tiny bit of pop that you accumulate from taking a toy away from your child. Obviously, uh, if you take something away from your child, if you inflict negative feelings upon your children, that is pop. There's no way around it. But you can do such a tremendous amount of punya in that moment that you it will ultimately come out to be positive for you. So tell me how you do punishments in your family. Anybody? Uh, okay. I've pretty much done all of the above. Uh, probably hitting them not too often, very rarely, because uh, I've never believed in it. Um, yelling, probably on second level of worseness there. And then... Um, Time out, I've never um, never tried that or didn't felt it would work or anything. Um, and then, yeah, devices or hey, you won't get this or get that, stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Those are my three things I've done. Right. And so um, one of the things that um, may help is to focus on um, our emotions, right? It's so complicated, even when two people have emotions and they're reflecting emotions and information back at each other. And to bring a whole family, it's almost too complicated to explain, but we all have experienced this. My children does something wrong. I'm trying to handle it in some way. My spouse is more upset than I am, or I am more upset than my spouse getting emotional about it. And they... I want to handle it a different way. My spouse wants to handle it a different way. And then the, it's extremely complicated, right? So one of the things we can focus on is our own reactions to things, right? Try to be, I try to be as dispassionate as I can when dealing out punishments, which is one of the reasons I started incorporating their suggestions because now a punishment is like not something that I do when I'm in that state, when I'm yelling at them, it's something I do after consideration. I have to, because I have to take their consideration into account, right, too. So it's like a long, drawn-out thing, um, trying to think about the proper punishment. And so that is like an automatic cool-down period for me. Uh, you know, I take everybody's input. I take uh, my wife's input. I take uh, the child's input. And so that is one thing that helped me try to calm down. That is, the punishment should be, um, uh, <clears throat> how do you say, dispassionate, right? 
It shouldn't be, it should be appropriate to what the transgression was. And one of the way to do that is to make it dispassionate. Any other tips about uh, punishing children or making sure that, you know, they're, they're doing things that they have to do, especially with regards to their health, health and safety? So we, we go, um, I mean, obviously what we are describing is based on the age appropriate things, right? So like you, you clearly say that five years old, eight years old, you know, um, what we have seen is a shift at some point, child becomes more awareness, more aware of their actions and what things work or may have worked for us more often than before is is them realizing what they have done wrong. So it's not just when I catch you next time, it's like when you do it next time and it may have happened in the motion, impulse, whatever it is, just come and talk to me, right? Open that door, keep that door open so that let's say they they did something, we are not around, they will come and talk to you. And all, all we at times say is just don't do it next time. And then that frequency has reduced drastically what the habit has changed. They remove certain game apps or whatever it is. So that, that door needs to stay open uh, as they grow older. I think it, it works better when you put more responsibility on their side rather than, and sometimes our reaction is more towards either our experience or our fear. What's, what could have happened, right? So if sometimes it, it, exaggerate the situation and instead of that you know we we kind of work through these things i mean obviously there are certain instances when we see certain things yes all of the things that we talk about ashish said you said you know we go through those things but as the kid grows older there will be a switch where they realize that this is right this is wrong and a good example is when a third person comes and uh, stay with you or work with you we had a over the summer we had somebody with us and it's like the differences they saw on their own and they come and tech, talk to us that like, is it right? Is it wrong? What do you think? So that opens up a good conversation in general with your kids. Um, and mine is like 11, 12 and 18. So it's completely different level of punishment or discussion points. But uh, that's, that's pretty much what we see. It. One of the things that brings to my mind is that we must realize that our kids, our relationship with our children will change as they grow. And it'll change faster than you are ready for it. That is, they will demand to be treated and they should be treated differently within the span of five years, from 10 to 15, from 15 to 20, right? And we always think of them as little kids, right? And we want them going to be little kids forever, but we can't keep treating them that way. And so we have to realize that that relationship and speaking about keeping the door open, there will be a time when your kid has a choice that he, he or she will have a choice to continue the relationship with you or not. And it's not always a given that they will, especially if you don't keep that door open. And that is one of the things we talked about letting go. At some point when your kids become independent and adults, you will be forced to relate to them as adults, which includes non-association if they don't like the person you are. And so we should be aware of that now and treat them uh, accord, maybe 
be aware of that during our interactions with them now. You know what I say to my kids all the time is, I'm getting ready for them to live on their own. That's why I want you to learn how to cook this grilled cheese sandwich. Because what are you going to do when you're at college? And secretly, I'm insinuating that they have to go to college, right? So what are you going to do at your college? Like, that's why I need you to learn how to do the laundry. So because I can't do it for you when you're at college. And then I also push other things off like, yeah, when I, I don't want a dog in this house, but when you go to college, you can have a dog then when you go there. So that's what I always do. And that's how I keep it in the front of my mind is that, wait, I am trying to teach these kids. I'm trying to teach them how to let go. And that's how I keep it in the front of my mind. Any other tips or tricks about punishment or about how to punish the Jane way? Ashish, did we answer your question or did we give you anything to think about or is this all stuff you've heard before? Uh, no, definitely good stuff. Because um... a lot of times I have that feeling like I'm dealing with the problem and I go and look online and see what other people do. And it's like all BS. Like it's not going to help with my kids. Like this person is like saying, talk to kids on their level and do this and do that. I'm like, this is not going to work with my kids. So I, I'm often frustrated at the advice I get because it seems like my kids are different than anybody else's <laughs> when in fact they probably are not. <laughs> Expectations, right? Right. Um, they don't meet our expectations, but then the standard teaching they've been given is um, not everyone's the same. We're all different. And uh, again, what we've been raised through, what these today's kids have been raised through, the dynamics of it, the expectation we continue to expect out of them in the future, we're only trying to give them the right. We, we've been experiencing something and we're trying to give them that look out. Things only get difficult, as you said. Like you said, when you're a baby, you have no care. Eat, poop, sleep, that's it, that was it. And then as every year goes by, you have more and more things challenging. It only gets more difficult. So what we may feel like we're trying to help them and then by us having the expectation, it's just very it's a circular kind of thing. Like what is the right thing to do? What is not okay? If everyone's not equal, then do you allow them to be on a device? Do you allow them to make mistakes? Do you allow them to do whatever they want to? Uh, but yeah, definitely next time I'll try to, what I haven't tried is try to ask them, hey, what do you think your punishment should be? So I'll maybe try that and see how that works out. That'll be a breath of fresh air for them, I bet. They'll be like, what? I get to suggest my punishment? They'll Then they'll start thinking about maybe what it's like to be you. <laughs> And of course, you know, you hit the nail right on the head in that we are dealing with the generation gap. We are also dealing with the cultural gap of what was expected of us from our parents versus what we expect from our children and perhaps in a different country, in a different circumstance. It's all very complicated. And that is why the most interesting question you can ask yourself with regard to every day and every activity is, what is the right thing to do? This is a question that if you occupy yourself with, you will recreate Jainism in a nutshell. You will 
do so much more punya without thinking about it than you've ever done. And you'll do so much minimization of getting karma without knowing the word samvar. You'll do so much more burning of karma without knowing the word nirdra if you just constantly ask yourself, what is the right thing to do? Thank you, everybody, for coming this week. I really appreciate that. And um, we're off next week due to Labor Day, so we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Thanks. Okay.